to be This is small town music This is big town music He's ahead of his time, you know But he can't use it If only he could prove it Well, tomorrow's just a song away A song away A song away Hey everybody, welcome to Rock Solid, the comedy podcast for all things music, both new and classic. I'm Pat Francis, and joining me today on the second mic, this is very exciting, we have a songwriter and producer. Uh, this person has, uh, her songs have been on, on records that have sold 300 million in record sales. That's crazy. She's one of the few women who is in the Songwriters Hall of Fame. She's been doing this for a, a long time. Her songs are great. If you don't know her name, you will know these songs, and then you will know her name. So please welcome to the show, Holly Knight. Hello, Holly. How are you doing? Hi, Pat. Now you just went rock and roll on me, Holly. You just put your sunglasses on. <laughs> do you not like the? Do you not like looking at me, or do you not like me looking at you? What's the deal? Uh, no, I just. <laughs> Is it too bright in I, here? <laughs> it's Sunday. Okay. You know, did you, uh, would you like me to take them? No, no, no. I'm just, I, I, you know, I, I joke from time to time. Feel free to just joke back at me. Just throw it right back at me. Don't worry. Um, Holly, thank you for giving me your Sunday, by the way. I really appreciate that. You drove down here from the Palisades and anytime there's an in-studio guest of your caliber, it's a, it's a thrill for me. It's a thrill for the, the listeners. And I do appreciate you giving us your time. Thank you. It's th- a thrill for me too. So we're going to, uh, we're going to have some fun and we're going to, uh, if you don't mind 90 minutes of me kissing your ass, you're in the right place. <laughs> um, yeah, that works. <laughs> <laughs> Holly, uh, as a, uh, as a, as a record buying uh, teenager, my thing was whenever I would buy an album, I would, I would comb through that that the the lyric sheet and all I wanted to know who produced it, who engineered it, uh, where it was recorded, and who the writers were of these songs. If it wasn't the band members, who was writing these songs? And the names that would always pop up were um, Tom Kelly and Billy Steinberg, and Diane Warren and Holly Knight. Like those were the four. Those were the four that I would always see. And when I would see those names. I'm not lying to you. I would get excited because I'm like, oh my God, Holly Knight co-wrote this song. I didn't know what you looked like. I didn't know anything about you. All I knew is that that meant this is probably going to be a song I like because I've liked all the other songs I've heard. So that's where I'm coming from as a, as a fan and as the host of the show. But you know, I host this show from a fan's perspective. I try to ask questions that if someone got to meet you on the street or in an elevator, they might want to ask you. So that's how that's how rock solid goes here. So now you've made me self conscious with the glasses. On, <laughs> I didn't so. mean to do that. I didn't mean to do that. I was coming just... off. <laughs> well, I like seeing I like seeing your eyes anyway. That way, because because when you have the sunglasses on, I don't know if you're enjoying yourself, and uh, you might be. Uh, you might be. You might get pissed off at me, and then I, I won't know that. But now I will. Oh, you'll know if I'm pissed off at you. <laughs> <laughs> Let no, me ask I'm you kidding. this. Okay. Let's find out about Holly Knight first of all. Where, where did you grow up? Where are you from? I'm from New York City. I grew up in uh, Manhattan okay. on the Upper East Side. And um, yeah, so even though I've lived in Los Angeles for a long time, mm-hmm. I think, you know, New York City is in my DNA and my <laughs> personality. That's never going to change no matter where I live. Right. And uh, a large family? How many siblings? I have an incredibly small family, so I'm always jealous of people that have large families, you know. And 
Um, I love movies like My Big Fat Greek Wedding because <laughs> it's so not it's so alien to me. Right. My mother and my father were both single kids, so there were no aunts and uncles and hence okay. no cousins. Oh, that's that's right? the kind of stinks. Yeah. Um, and you know, I had grandparents, but they've now passed away, and mm-hmm. my parents have passed away, so I'm sort of the matriarch of the family now. But do you have brothers and sisters? Or I you... have one brother. One brother. And was the family, was it a musical family? Does anyone play instruments? Was there music playing in the house at all times? Well, uh, it, there's sort of a yes and no to that whole okay. question. Um, there was a lot of music in the house, but it was um, everything but the one thing that I ended up going into, which was rock music. Uh, most of the people in my family were doctors and lawyers. So my father was a doctor. My grandparents were eye surgeons. My brother's an attorney. Um, however, my my connection with my mother was always music, and she played everything. You know, I mean, I studied classical when I was four for ten years, and she kind of was hoping she was grooming me to be a concert pianist. And in addition to that, there was a lot of you know world music. We would see Ravi Shankar. Or, we would, um, my mom would go to Jamaica and come back with ska before anyone had heard wow, of it. Wow, that's, see, that's cool. And it was just like this potpourri of like all this crazy stuff, which I just ate it all up. You of know? course. And um, then I discovered rock music on my own, and that was a game changer. And um, the louder, the better. You know? <laughs> yeah, we did an audio test with some music uh, before we started recording, and, and that's what Holly said. It's loud's great. Yeah. The, um, so at what age do you think that you really knew exactly what you wanted to do with your life? It sounds like very early on, you might have had an inkling that music was going to be something you were going to try to make as your, uh, the, your job. Well, you know, music was sort of, I kind of knew even at four that music was going to be my first language, mm-hmm. you know, whether I, you know, did something with it. I didn't think in those terms as far as being a songwriter. I just wanted to be in a band and play music and you know, be a rock star, and it never went really beyond that. Yeah. You know? And, well, um, and you succeeded, which is a good thing. <laughs> yeah. What did Now, your parents that are, that are doctors and your brother's an attorney, uh, are they supportive of your dream? Because it's not, it's not like the family business, and it's, and it's kind of, you know, if my kids came to me and said, I want to do this thing, I would be supportive because I live out here. But, you know, right. there's always, in the back of your mind, you're like, oh, boy, I hope that works out. Yeah, no, they weren't supportive at all, <laughs> at all. I mean, so I just ended up leaving home at a very young age, okay. just right before my 16th birthday. I was like, well, fuck you then, you know, and I left. Um, and it took a while for them to really sort of accept that I was successful yeah. at this. I mean, we're talking about 10 years later. And I remember one day I was in the car with my father and uh, Love is a Battlefield came on the radio, and then I changed the station, and it was on another station. And <laughs> I said, Now, is this when the song was out and a hit? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And, um, yeah, this was when it had just come okay. out. And he said, gee, and it's amazing. He says, you, if you'd gone to college, you could have been a writer. And I looked at him like, well, what do you think I do? Yeah, I'm a writer, Dad. Yeah, so that was pretty funny, but... Um, it, he was, I have to say in his defense too, he was very supportive. He loved music and he used to come to every little dive that I played at with my band Spider mm-hmm. and 
he was so excited. He loved music, and he, so he was very supportive. Now, you know, I think everybody's just like really impressed and proud, and you know. <laughs> yeah, but don't you wish they were that way? For, like, it would be great if they were that way from the beginning, like because you you. Yeah, but opposition is good because without it, you don't learn and you don't... If everything was perfect and beautiful, then you would have no reason to strive to be better. That's true. That's true. So the opposition was very necessary. Gotcha. All right. Well, you know, I'm I'm glad that they eventually came around to to being on Team Holly Knight. And is that your your real name? Knight? Holly Knight? Is that a stage name? It's... Well... (laughs) It's a stage name and it's my real name. Yes. Okay. Because <laughs> I changed it legally when I was 18. Okay, cool. So now here it is decades later. It just, you know, it just embodies everything I am. I was born with the name Holly. I mm-hmm. just had a German Jewish name. Okay. So night sounds cool though. Night's like rock and roll. It's yeah, cool. and it came to me in a dream. Um, you know, I was in my band and we were all trying to think of, you know, sort of stage names. Or not all of us, but some of us. And I had a a dream and in it I was Holly Knight and I woke up and I went like that just felt so right so memorable easy simple British yes all that stuff all that stuff is uh, is it works perfect and uh, a lot of photos I see of you you're wearing black and black is night so it all just it's all a thing it's all and what am I wearing right now you're wearing black with silver black and silver (laughs) now uh, more family questions if you don't mind do you have children I do. How old are your kids? And if you don't mind. Sure. Okay. Well, they're not children anymore. I have a son that's 28 and okay. I have a second son that's 24. All right. That's the, yeah, they're not kids anymore, but to you, they're still. Yeah, they're always going to be my, they're your, your my babies. little men. Yeah. What, um, what do they think of mom's success? If they grew up in it, I guess they just, that's just what you do and it's, they're normal. Well, I think on the one hand, they're really proud of me, although they would be loath to tell me so. You know, I have to hear this from other people. <laughs> right. Oh, your kids say that you're so and awesome. They, yeah. And then my older son, they're even at his age, sometimes thinks I'm, I'm the lamest person on the planet. <laughs> and I used to feel horrible about that. Like, I'm not lame. I'm cool. And <laughs> then I saw something with Gwyneth Paltrow the other day, and she was saying the same exact thing. My kids think I'm the lamest person. And, you know, she's a big movie star, so yeah. I guess it's a rite of passage. I guess that's how it goes. You know what? They're going to have kids one day, and it's going to be payback time. I'm just going <laughs> to sit back and laugh. Are your, are your sons, uh, are they musical? Do they have some talent? In, um, in... They're musical in as much as they're really, they love music. Mm-hmm. And my younger son has actually a really great voice, but never really went into it. Neither one of them are in the music business. Okay. And, you know, the way things are right now, it's probably a blessing. Mm-hmm. Um, but they have, you know, they have some genetic Gene- uh, genetic talent, I guess. Yeah. Just they're not going to do anything with it, which is fine. Yeah, it's uh, the music industry is uh, it's all upside down, crazy right now. I don't know yeah. how you would become a become a Holly Knight in twenty twenty. It's it, I don't right. know. It's it, it seems adversity is really you know you're you're really up against the wall in twenty twenty. I don't even know what. Um, how do you keep track of financially of streaming and all this stuff? How do you even know? You know, well, what's it's much, happening. it's much harder now, which yeah. is uh, a problem because, you know, people that are trying to make it in the business now, it's really hard to make money because if your music is lumped into like, you know, hundreds of other artists in a big package like it is on Spotify yeah. or Pandora, where they're paying out, you know, to the record label, all their artists, it's like, I often wonder about that too. Like, how do they figure that out? And I think that's why these days... Uh, artists make most of their money through touring and merchandising because they can 
probably keep more of it, you know. But how does that benefit you, the songwriter? I mean, the well, artist... it doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't. It absolutely so, doesn't. And also, is like you were saying before, people used to know more about uh, the writers, the yeah. musicians, the producers, because they would look forward to sitting down and with, reading the liner notes. With physical music. It's yeah, not all downloads. it was downloads. very tactile. And, yeah. and, and even if you loved the single, you had to buy the whole record, or you couldn't get the single. That's well, you right. could get the single. You could buy the 45. But, but people were more willing to buy the whole record, and then they would discover other parts of the record, which were maybe not singles, but some of the best stuff on there. Yeah. And... You know, there you would become a real bona fide fan, and you would wait for the record to come out. But right now, it's more like with the streaming, you you have a playlist, and kids think it's normal to take you know one song from here and one song from there, and until they have a playlist, because you know they just don't have the attention span right. to sit down and really form a connection with any one artist, you know, and they don't know who's written it, and they don't care, and they don't know who's produced it. Um, you know, I mean, even on the Grammys, the producer of the year, that's not even televised. So Yeah, it's ridiculous. There's a lack of... Res- Oops, sorry. That's okay. That was your table leg there. <laughs> uh, that was my sword. I know. It sounded like it sounded like, like, one, metal, of those, like right? one of those bells that someone, <laughs> teacher rings to keep you quiet. Right. Um, class is dismissed. The, um, <laughs> my, uh, my oldest, uh, my oldest uh, uh, daughter uh, was into Taylor Swift, so... They did enjoy the album listening experience. Mm-hmm. And my youngest daughter is 15, and she is all about Billie Eilish. I mean, so she does listen to that album top to bottom. But Good. I agree with you. From Other than that, well, it's, yeah, it's there all... Are sp- yeah, there are exceptions. There are exceptions. But other than that, it's all a Spotify playlist of whatever. Yeah, and someone said to me, oh, yeah, but you can look up on iTunes. You can look up who wrote it. Who does? No one does. Nobody does. And no most does. of the time, they don't even go to iTunes to pay for it anymore. You know, they just streaming on YouTube or yeah. whatever, you know. So they're not going to find out, you know, who wrote it or what musician played it. And unfortunately for those people, that's their calling card. You know, yeah. my calling card was, my business card was to look at a record and see my name on it. And then someone would think, oh, Holly Knight. And then, you know, maybe I'd get work out of it or something and respect and all kinds of things without, which no one would ever know who I am. Yeah. But that's not happening anymore for the new generation. Yeah. And for that, I feel really bad. I think there's something's got to change there. Yeah, even um, even the past couple of days when I told people, oh, I'm recording Sunday with Holly Knight, and they would be say, well, who's Holly Knight? And then all I needed to do was name two songs, tops. Mm-hmm. And they were like, oh, my God. And then I would name mm-hmm. more songs. And they're like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. So, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, your calling card is definitely these songs that have stood the test of time and that we love and that we're going to play some of. But I want to talk more about the... Uh, so do you play, you play keyboards, piano. Do you play any other instruments? I do. I play bass and I play guitar. Um, enough to write, you know, write on it. I, I purposely have not taken the time to become, you know, as adept on bass and guitar as I am on keyboards. Mm-hmm. Um, because that allows me to just sort of approach writing and playing in a different way. You know, if I sit down on the piano, I know too much at this point, so there's a lot of changes going on, you know. And sometimes the best songs are better when they're simpler, and it allows you to write a much more complex melody if the chords underneath it are simple. And I'm not saying ordinary, I'm just saying simple. Right. You know, ordinary, no. But um, the less you create underneath it the more freedom you have on the top otherwise you have to follow everything and then it becomes like progressive rock you know yeah so when i write on guitar i just you know um 
because I don't really know what I'm doing. I, it allows me to play chords in places that I wouldn't normally go to. And I really like to write on bass because I figure if you, if you have a good bass line and then you have a great melody and lyrics, you pretty much have your song, mm -hmm. you know? You've pretty much covered it. This brings me to my next thing. So how, you're going to write a song. Let's say, I don't know, yeah, last week, tomorrow, you're going to write a song. How do you know what instrument you're going to write it on? Do you, do you, in your head, do you think, oh, this is a, this is guitar, or this is piano, or this is bass? Do you just, I mean, you know, because you're, you're a songwriter. I don't know, because I'm not. <laughs> so how do you know what instrument you're going to choose to start writing a new creation? Um, I, I don't, I just sort of walk in and see what I feel like playing that okay. day, you know, isn't it sort of like you walk into the closet, do you know exactly what you're going to wear or, or do you just kind of look and go, Oh, I think I'll wear that today. You know, I have so few clothes that it's oh, not difficult okay. for me. Okay. Yeah. Well, I have a lot of clothes and I wear the same ones every day. So <laughs> go figure. It's comfortable. It's, yeah, it's, it's one less thing to think about. If it's not comfortable, you know, yeah. unless I'm going to a, a really important award show or mm -hmm. something, I'm not wearing it, you know. And uh, my next question about songwriting is, where where does inspiration happen when you when you're driving, you're in the shower? When 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 do you find your you get the spark most of the time? Um, at this point in my life, I kind of walk into my studio, and if I feel like writing, I, I start to write. If I if it's not happening or something, I, I usually leave in about five minutes. Okay. I don't like try and hammer it out mm -hmm. anymore, because I know you know if I wait a little bit and go in there in the right mood, it's going to come. You know, as far as what inspires me, um, I life. You know, yeah. life is all around us, and you know, I always try to tell. Uh, people that want to know about songwriting, like it's very, very important, your subject matter. The music is sort of something you just kind of do and play around with. With lyrics, for me anyway, really require thought and emotion. And so what I try and do is when I'm sort of in that writing mode, like um, I might say to, uh, to, to, I might go and listen to, prick up my ears and listen to everything I hear on purpose for mm -hmm. the next 24 hours and write it down. Okay. So if it's even on a TV show or someone says something or it's a newspaper heading or it just pops in my head out of who the fuck knows where, um, I write it down. And then at the end of 24 hours, I might have like a lot of titles and some of them are great for maybe a lyric. Some of them are awful. And then there's a couple of gems, great titles. Cool. And, and I would suggest that to anybody that like start with a good title, you know. So that's for you. That's that's the first step is figuring out a title? Actually, um, let, me, let me retract that for a second. Usually, like, if I'm just going to go in to write, mm -hmm. just for the hell of writing, I don't have a specific person or something in mind, I usually just pick up a guitar or something and just start playing. Okay. But then I'll pull out my list. Your list of titles, possible yeah. titles. Unless something popped in my head already. Um, but then once I have that, at least I sort of have a direction. You cool. Know? The, uh, my next question is, cause you're, you're successful now. Holly Knight is, you've had fame and you've had, and you have fortune. Is it easier to write a song when you're hungry and, and, and trying to achieve that? Is it more difficult now that you're, uh, that you're successful to find, to find a good song? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I do know what you're saying. Um, 
Well, now I'm at this phase where I don't have to do this anymore. So when I do, it's because I really want to, because I really want to. It's okay. almost like it was in the beginning. Oh, okay. Where That's I nice. Hungry. I get you. That makes sense. You know, because I can really just, there's certain things that I just really want to write for, you know, a certain person or whatever. And what makes it hard, too, is... Um, it's really hard to get your songs to artists these days. It doesn't matter. Okay, I'm in the Songwriting Hall of Fame, and I've had all these hits. And That doesn't you know, make any sense to me. It makes I, no it, difference. As an outsider, that doesn't make any sense to me. I would think that, you know, Pink or, or all these people would, would want to, hey, can you hook me up with Holly Knight? I need to talk to her. I need to, I'd like to write with her. Yeah, yeah it's, it's really hard. I mean, I have, a, I have a bunch of artists I'd, I'd love to work with right now, and I just... It's it's amazing. I mean, I'll, I'll get the the manager's email or something, and I'll write them, and I'll never hear back from them. That's and insane. Yeah, there's a little, there's a strong lack of disrespect for mm-hmm. writers um, in general, and always has been. And I think that what happens is it's sort of like that cliche flavor of the month thing. Even the Pinks of the world and Madonna are looking for the youngest, newest, yeah. f- uh, fresh blood. You know, and. Unfortunately, a lot of the fresh blood these days is, you know, songwriting is different now than the way I write songs. Yeah. I mean, I can program. I can, I'm a ninja when it comes to Pro Tools and, um, you know, uh, but I don't write that way. And I think now a lot of the writing begins with programming and, and it's a different approach. And then someone's brought in to do top line and 10 other people are brought yeah. in. And it's, it's just... Uh, I think that's kind of what the problem is. And I think that with a lot of the groups, it's, it's what I call very posse-driven, where they only go to certain people and they won't talk to anybody else. And they, it's really limiting in a way. Yeah. You know? what's, uh, and what's funny is, like, let's say, let's say on the next Pink album, there's two Holly Knight Pink uh, collaboration songs. Then you would, it, all it takes is that to be back in the posse. Right. Exactly. I was supposed to work with Pink, but she canceled on me five times. Oh, and then, Pink. Yeah, and it, you know, and it was very disappointing because I really felt like we could have written great stuff together. Um, I think you still can, well, but she's yeah, going to have to find you. She's going to have to find me. Yeah, she's going to have to look for you now. Yeah, and um, also, like, I would give anything, anything to write with Adele. Adele, if oh you're my listening. God. I, I have some great ideas, and it's just like just you would kill it with Adele. I know I've written her manager a couple of times. I don't know, maybe it goes to spam. <laughs> well, I, I'm going to give a shout out then to your uh, PR person. It's is it Debbie? Debbie, yeah, Debbie, because uh-huh. she answered my email immediately, and that's what I like. When you have to chase something, it's it's very difficult. And you know, like if she would have just said Holly's too busy, I would have been like, well, thank you for the quick reply. Uh, maybe I'll touch base with you later in the year. You know what I mean? Right. That's all it takes. It's not sure. a big. But I'm Hassle. not as famous as Adele, you know. Well, uh, I'm behind for, the scenes. Well, and for me, <laughs> for me, it's big. Yeah. For me and a lot of people. Same thing with Lady Gaga. I I really wanted to work with her year, a couple years ago, and I wrote her manager, and he was like, you know, he, he was just very, to be honest, he was full of shit. You know, he just there was no respect. What's sad like about this? He was doing me a favor. Is the artist might never know that you're even oh, reaching out to them? Absolutely. I have. I don't think for a minute the artist knows no. anything. I think they're just they're these gatekeepers. And they'd be pissed off probably if they heard that uh, people of a Holly Knight caliber was getting, you know, not getting through. Yeah, maybe, maybe you know who knows. But um, if you, if you were to put me in the same room with them, I would win them over, and they would fall in love with me as far as writing and 
they're women. Yes. You know, I'm women. We're, we're all... Uh, and I, the interesting thing was with Adele, she had just moved to L.A. It was like, I wrote this ridiculous letter to the manager. Hey, I live in L.A. I'm a mother. I've been divorced three times. I'm real cheeky and wicked. She'd love me. You know? She would love you. And uh, it just hasn't happened. So there you go. All right. Well... Hopefully sometime you'll be, if you got on an elevator and Adele was in the elevator, would you, would you make the connection? Oh yeah. Are you okay. kidding? All right. Well, yeah. I, I wish I had, could snap my fingers and make that happen. Listen, for you, all I would have to say is I've written nine songs for Tina Turner, including simply the best and better be good to me. And then they'd say, Oh my God, I love those songs. And yeah. then boom, done. Yeah. All right. So. Let's talk about, uh, but I was just going to say, yes. if, if just to finish that off, no, no, please. If it's hard for me, and I'm being very honest. I'm being being very raw mm-hmm. here. It's not anything cool that I've just said. It's just the reality of things. So imagine what it's like for a new songwriter with no track record. With no track. No record. no, three hundred million albums sold, and no uh, songs on Broadway, and no right. rock and, uh, songwriters rock and roll hall of fame um, or songwriters hall of fame. I know. I, I just how do you even begin? It's nuts. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about. Now, 1980, Spider, is this your first, this is your first success? This is, this is the first thing. You're very excited about this Spider. It's your band. Is this your band? Did you start this band? I helped form it. Uh, there were three South Africans, and they all knew each other. And one of them was Anton Fig, the drummer, who has, was on, later became famous on That's Letterman. right. Everyone knows him from Letterman, drummer yeah. on Letterman. And sessions and everything. I mean, we, we Kiss fans know him as right. uh, playing uh, Peter Chris's parts on Dynasty and Unmasked. Sure, and, yeah, and, and I played on Ma- Unmasked. Yeah, too. Yes, and that uh, that I didn't know because you're not credited in the liner notes. I don't think. Well, neither is he. I mean, they well, didn't, no, they no, didn't, that was they didn't all, no. want anyone to know. No, that was it's part like of the mystique. The, yeah, and the keyboards were supposed to magically have appeared out of I don't know. Yeah, who's Paul playing Stanley's those? ass or something? I don't know. <laughs> Uh, so Spider is lead vocals Amanda Blue, mm-hmm. guitar Keith Lenton, keyboards Holly Knight, bass Jim Lowell, mm-hmm. and drums Anton Fig. And that's 1980. You have albums in 80 and 81 with the with this band. First is Spider, and the second album's called Between the Lines. And uh, let's uh, let's listen to something from Spider. This song is called New Romance, and then in parentheses, it's a mystery. Let's hear it. a great song that I, I have to be honest I didn't know about Spider until I was researching to do this interview with you today so maybe you're going to get some money from me because I bought these both on uh, iTunes because <laughs> they're on there so people if you like that uh, song go buy these uh, these songs buy these albums but uh, that's a fantastic song a lot of songs on these Spider albums I'm surprised that uh, now I know a couple people did uh, find a couple and re-record them we'll talk about those but there's there's a lot of good stuff on these albums it's very, it's right in my wheelhouse of this catchy, poppy rock. I love it. We were all uh, pretty much 
most of us were trained musicians. Mm. You know, Anton went to, one of them went to Berkeley and one of them went to the Boston School of Music. And, you know, they were Miles Davis uh, fans. And, and um, so we were, we were a pop band, but we were also musically sophisticated. Mm-hmm. All right, here's another song from the self-titled Spider album. This is called Everything Is All Right. Yeah, just great stuff. And that this song is uh, this song is uh, written solely by Holly Knight. Yes. And I believe the next one is too, Don't Waste Your Time. Yes. Okay, let's hear a little and bit Amanda of Amanda was a really good singer too. Yeah, she's and she's got that quality of um of like uh Rindy Ross from Quarter Flash or 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 you know, it just it just sounds exactly like it's supposed to sound it from 1980, you know what I mean? Does uh-huh. that make sense? Yeah. Uh, this next one is called Don't Waste Your Time. Here we go. last time you heard this uh these songs in headphones like this it's been a long time i was just sitting here thinking wow that would, we were good yeah th- this is great stuff produced by peter coleman yes um we i really <laughs> wanted mike chapman to mm-hmm. produce us and i kind of chased him all over the place trying to get him to uh, listen to our music and he did finally and ended up signing us to his record label and I was so happy because I thought well he's gonna um, he's gonna produce us but he, it turned out he had so many other commitments that we ended up working with Peter who was his engineer okay and that's fine except that Peter wasn't a songwriter and one of the reasons I really wanted to work with Mike Chapman was he was such a great songwriter you know um, and we also had Eddie Kramer interested in the band, who was a South African, and so he had that bond with the three South Africans, right. which was the drummer and Amanda the singer, and Keith the guitarist. Um, but I, even at that point, before I knew I was a songwriter, or wanted to be one. I felt like we needed to have to get on the radio. We needed to have great songs, and so Mike was the guy. Yeah. Um, so by the time we got to the second record, I 
went to Mike and I said, can we write a song together? Let's write a song together. And hoping that if he wrote the song, he would produce it. And this song was probably a real bomb, right? A real dud. What was it called? <laughs> better Be Good to Me. Hmm. Better Be I think I've heard of that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, he and I wrote it. I like the version that Spider did better than Tina's version. It's very druggy. And Mike Chapman did produce it. Yes, he did produce it. And he has one. a way of taking songs. Like there's only really two chords in the song when the lyrics are all attitude and stuff and so they're wonderful he has a wonderful way of making songs build um with just very little Mm -hmm. Uh, it's almost like you have to have very little in the song in order for them to build and he did that with rapture with blondie and that's sort of the same approach he took with better be good to me all right well let's hear the spider version we we know the we know the tina version we don't need to hear that one so i want to play the spider version let's hear some better be good to me Entangled in your web Whispers in the night I'm captured by your spirit Captured Oh yes, I'm touched by the show of emotion Should I be fractured by your lack of emotion? I do love the, the Tina Turner version, too. It's just that what I like about the, the ours is, like I said, it's a little bit more sort of Lou, Lou Reedish yeah, yeah. and kind of spacey. And, and and Tina does steal a little bit of the, you know, the vocal, you know, how she's phrasing some, you know what I mean? She's, oh, she was, but she was great at that. She did that with every song I ever gave her. She had the respect of the writer and yeah. thought, I like the way they're doing it. I'm going to do it exactly the way they do it. And that was very rare and very humble on her part. Uh, well, well, at that point in Tina's career, she she was had her comeback, and she was they were using finding these great outside writers, and, and it was working. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure she was so grateful to, uh, you know, the songs and words that were brought to her. She was just, you know, that's amazing. I mean, her comeback is, it's gigantic. Like it's like, um, it's almost unheard of that, you know, she was, you know, playing little places, and then all of a sudden, I boom. think I think it was more than a comeback. I think it was more like. A rebirth, like coming out of a cocoon, and yeah. it was like That's more a like a met- metaf- metamorphosis because she never went she, away. Well, it's not that; it's just that comeback would imply that that Ike and Tina were a huge uh, act, which they weren't. Right? You know, they were. We just think that they were. Well, because but they her, were well known, right. and classic. But you can't compare it to what happened once no. she became a solo artist. No, when, and when she became a solo artist, she wanted to do rock music. She loved rock music. Mm-hmm. She didn't want to do R and B, and she didn't want to do depressing songs. So, when she did her record, she became the ultimate rock chick. You know, <laughs> had people yeah. like David Bowie and, and Mick Jagger performing with yeah. her. Brian and, Adams. And, I mean, yeah, all these guys yeah. wanted to work with Tina. And and that was just so much hipper than, I mean, not to take away from what they did, but what she did as a solo artist was far more unique. Yeah. 
And then she came into her own and she called her own shot. So she was singing and doing what she wanted for a change, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's why she loves singing positive songs too. She doesn't want to sing depressing songs. That's why she loves the best. You know, she's moved on. She's a, she's a, um, she's Tina Turner. She's a Buddhist too. (laughs) She chants and she's just very positive person. That's excellent. Is, um, now there's a song on this album that if I, if I, if it's okay to say this, one of my favorite songs you wrote is change. And, um, but I didn't know the spider version until a couple days ago. I only knew the John Waite version. And I do think this is a case where John's version is better than the spider version. I hope I'm not offending you by saying that. No, I'm actually known for telling everybody that I like his version better. It's, um, it's more rocky. It's more edgy. Ours was kind of, punky and and 80, 80s and his was just very direct it, you know it was produced by this is a strange six degrees of separation but this was produced by neil Giraldo, sure, yeah. and on the guitar in it was neil and the background vocals were patty Smythe. and i hadn't met either one of them yet you know i was yet to meet them yeah. and have hits with them but yeah i love his version and he even asked me if he could change a few of the words and he showed me what he wanted to change i said that's fine and he did it without asking for songwriting credit he didn't also. ask but if he had asked i would have I, in fact i did tell him like well you know the song's been out and it's written i'm not gonna give you any credit he didn't care so it's just he did it, a great version it's so great and i remember seeing the video on mtv that's probably the first exposure i had to the song i knew the babies and then i bought the the ignition album and it just um it still sounds good to this day. I'm going to play a little of the Spider version, then I'll go into John's version, and then we'll keep uh, we'll keep on chatting. But this you know, is—I I will say that all the elements are, are there. Are there? Yes. From the beginning, you know, it's not like he rewrote the song. No, 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 no. I'm not saying. Yeah, no, I'm not saying that at all. It's it's all there. Just that that different production. Yeah, different production, and that 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 guitar stuff at the beginning of of his version is uh, is not there in the Spider version. Am I correct? Well, the, the, it's the chords to the verse. He just okay. took the, the chords to the verse and made them the intro. Okay. Whereas we just hang on one note. All right. Here we go. This is Change um, by Spider. And it's so funny. He remade it just a year later. You know, yeah. 81 well, and then 82 well, was so his that version. Was, and that was the same right after that was Tina Turner, too. But better be good to me. Okay. Here we go. Change. John, he, he, he sings different than other people. His phrasing is a little different. He, well, I just his love His vocal him. is better. Yeah. He's a great singer. He's, uh, and he's been on the show. So there's, there's the first, there's our first crossover. John's been, uh, was in that chair. So here's, uh, here's John Waite change. People talking and they're saying that you're leaving. 
that not a top five hit? How was that not? Who dropped the ball on that? Chris, I don't know. Chrysalis you know, Records. You remember when I said to you, if you have a bass line and you have the vocal, you mm-hmm. pretty much have the tune? Yeah. Well, the bass line is exactly the same, and those unusual notes it goes to in mm-hmm. the chorus were there. Yeah. And the melody was there. It's all there. It's yeah. just. Uh, it's a production. The production's different, it's punchier. And yeah. uh, I don't know, is that, a, is that a term I even know? Uh, someone who doesn't know music, can I say that it's punchier? Why not? <laughs> <laughs> um, so what happens with, uh, what happens with Spider? Because two albums and then you guys aren't, um, you guys aren't be getting where you want to go. And so is that why you disband? Well, we didn't disband. I left and they went on, they changed their name to, I don't remember, it was something else. Were you, was it amicable? Did you just want to leave? No, it wasn't amicable. Yeah, because the songwriter's leaving. Right. <laughs> when the record company found out the songwriter left, I mean, they all wrote, but they weren't, you know, they they didn't go on to become songwriters, so yeah, say I'm, no more, you know. Yeah, I'm not sitting here talking to Keith Lenton. I'm sitting here talking to yeah. Holly Knight. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, there was a lot of, you know, we were managed by Bill Coyne, who managed Kiss, and later he managed Billy Idol and he had this notion that we should all equally split the income on songwriting so no matter who wrote what that's what he did with Kiss no matter who wrote what everybody got the same amount and um, you know maybe in a band like Kiss that, that works but it, 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 he, I think he thought that that would solve the problem of egos and everybody would be all for one and one for all but there still was a lot of competitiveness yeah. that's difficult because and pettiness and and then it was like oh well, you have more songs on it with your name on it or your oh your name comes first and then there was just a lot of turmoil particularly between me and the and the lead mm-hmm. singer and finally we were on the road one day and we practically amanda and i almost got into a fist fight um who wins that fight um <laughs> i did <laughs> <laughs> We didn't actually end up yes, fighting, okay. but uh, uh, theoretically, as far as spiritually, I think I did, because I left and went on to do what I was meant to do. Yeah. Well, everybody went on to do what they were meant to <laughs> yes, do. Yes, exactly. Anton uh, Fig never thought that he would be famous as a drummer on a late night talk show, but that's right. just what, that's where life took him. And he was He's probably, also highly respected yes, as, he is. As, as a drummer playing he, on people's records. Yeah, he was, a, and, he was and he was he was in Fraley's Comet. He was uh, Ace's drummer. Well, he also like when because of being on Letterman, the Paul Schaefer band, they got to play every single with every single artist on the planet yeah. and then when they did the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, they were the house band. So, you know, yeah, he didn't do too badly. No, cuz even when bands came on Letterman, Paul and the band played with the artists. They they that was yeah. just the thing. Yeah. It was cool. So, yeah, and we're still good friends. I'm good friends with Keith as well. And, um, you know, I just, I went to them and said, you know what, I don't want to be in this band anymore. I'm going to finish the tour out. I'm going to talk to the record label, which I did. And oddly enough, Chapman was very supportive about me leaving. He said, well, move to L.A. I'll sign you to a new publishing deal, and we'll write a lot of songs together. Mm. I'll be producing a lot of people, so you'll have a great, um, you know, access to artists. Of course, the songs have to be great, but you'll be able to get directly yeah. to a producer, which is a goldmine when you're a songwriter. You know. Yeah, I feel like uh, I feel like I was going to ask you how important is your relationship with Mike Chapman in your career because. You know, I would see his name as producer on these albums that you wrote songs for and Chrysalis. There's a lot of Chrysalis records. 
Uh, well, back at the time there was, and a lot of the times his name appeared as producer because I sort of turned around and did him a favor mm-hmm. as well by saying, I want Mike Jackman to produce this. Like I told that to Pat Benatar when she did Invincible because before that she had Neil Giraldo producing everything. Yeah. And if you listen to the production on Invincible, it's very different than Love is a Battlefield yeah. or anything else. It's, you know, it's... Um, it's just different. So he was an important part of my life, but um, if you're sort of leading into the question of do I think I would have made it if if he hadn't been in my life? Yes, uh, I, I was actually. I was not leading oh, into okay. that question. <laughs> I just I would ask him the same question about you because your names seem to come up a lot as co-writers and mm-hmm. or your songs are on albums that he produced. And I I would I just assume as an outsider. Oh, Mike probably brought your songs to these artists and it was just all, you know, working together. I think back then it was sort of like a protege mm-hmm. mentor kind of a relationship, yeah. which he was quite happy with because like all producers, he's a control freak, yeah. you know, you have to be kind of to be a producer, to be in charge. But, um, I think as time went on and I started to, you know, write with other people and on my own and, and mature, um, it was, I guess maybe this is a classic thing. It was hard for him to sort of grow with the relationship. It always, in his mind, was him up here and me down there, you know? Right. And, uh, yeah, I got sick of that, so <laughs> after a while. Yeah, I, I know, I, you know, and especially because you're a woman and he's a man, I don't want that to, I don't want you to think that I was like, oh, the man brought the woman along mm-hmm. for the success. I don't believe that at all. I live in a house full of women, even our, sure. our cat's a woman. So, uh, I do want to, so we know love is a battlefield is just, it's just a monster. It's a monster hit. It's a great song. Um, I think it really comes together when, when I see Pat and her band play it live, it just has, it's just really rocking, but you also wrote a song in 2003. It's on the last Pat Benatar proper studio album. The, the album's called go and you co-wrote a song with Neil called girl. Yeah. Let's hear can we hear a little bit of that? Sure. After all these years, how does because uh, like twenty years after Love Is a Battlefield, how do you uh, how do you get together with Neil Giraldo to write a song? Um, well, oddly enough, they lived in Malibu and I lived in the Palisades, and uh, our kids went to the same high school in Malibu. Okay. So one day I was sitting there in the auditorium and I looked down the aisle and there they are, mm-hmm. you know. So we started talking and saying, "Oh, we should get together and write," and that's really. The, the how we did it um 
You know, the interesting thing is that the best stuff that I wrote for Benatar was outside of them, you know? Yeah. Love is a Battlefield is a success in 83. Mm-hmm. And then that solo album that you did comes out in mm-hmm. 88. Mm-hmm. Like, why did you re-record a song that was that was so successful and so... Because it, it was so different than, mm-hmm. than the way we had demoed it. Yeah. And the truth of the matter is, even that doesn't capture the demo. Because I, I think maybe because I didn't want to be so different from her, her Pat's version, I even sped it up. But um, there's an art. There's an actor actually. His name is Luke Evans, um, and he just recorded it. He just released it like a month or two ago. And how is his version? It's the closest to the demo. I mean, I wish I could play the demo because it's 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 it was uh, the closest to what we were trying to create. It's more epic. Who has the demo? Do you still have the demo? I do. And who's singing on the demo? You, Mike Chapman. That would be something cool to hear. It's the reason that we would have Mike sing on on demos. He did the same thing with Better Be Good to Me is because he's a man, and I always have found that if you're going to pitch to a rock artist and it's a woman, play the guy's version. Okay. Because it's much cooler and much tougher, and then they have something to go. Oh, I can make that my own, and I'm you know I'm a woman, and I'm gonna you know as opposed to having a female sing it right you know oh, I like that. so, that's cool. so he sung on the demos he's not a great singer but he always captured the attitude mm-hmm. and that's all that you really need to do as as a you know as a songwriter because you know people that have these great vocals and they pitch a song you know um they should have been singers yeah. I mean, and i know there's some songwriters like that that have amazing voices i mean if i if i had a voice that was as good as say you know pat benatar would have been a singer you know, but yeah. I, I know my strengths and my weaknesses. And it's a it's a crime that Pat's not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Oh, that just irks me to no end. I I cannot believe that she didn't get in just it's, first time. I mean, she'll get in. She'll get but in, she, but it's she like she should have. When I look at some of the other people that are being nominated, I mean, I feel like there isn't one girl that I know on this planet, even like the young girls that go in and they listen to classic rock that weren't, like, really influenced. Influenced. And, influ- and, and no it, one has come along since her to dethrone her. I mean, there have been uh, other amazing, amazing rock singers that I've worked with, like Ann Wilson, you know. But there, it's like there's a small pool yeah. of it. And even today, it's like there's a, it's even a much smaller it, yeah, pool. It's, it's, a, it's a glaring omission. I mean, if you ask Lizzie Hill, you know, from Hailstorm or, like, any, any sort of rock singer, it's like the go-to is Pat. And for them not to just automatically just put her in there you, just seems insane to me. If you, just, if you go to karaoke at some bar, people, girl, women are going to get up there and belt out a Pat Benatar tune. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a crime. I couldn't believe that she didn't get in this year. I was shocked. Stunned. If you, yeah. if you told me to bet money on who's getting in this year, I would have said, well, Pat Benatar, because it's time, it's overdue. Yeah. But, but you know, like a lot of these Hall of Fame things, and the Songwriters Hall of Fame is no different, it's like a lot of it is like it's, it's political or it's showbiz, you mm-hmm. know? Like, let's have the people that are going to, let's nominate the people that are going to perform at the show, you know? Yeah. Well, Pat Benatar would perform. She still performs. It's not like she's coming, she would be yeah, coming but, on. Yeah, but, but my point being is sometimes they'll even pick an artist that's a performer over a songwriter, for instance, in the Songwriters Hall of Fame, because it'll draw in people. Yeah. You know? So they might even give an award to someone that's not really deserving of it because they know that person is going to draw in mm-hmm. a lot of tickets and yeah. they're selling the tickets for a thousand dollars a piece minimum. So yeah. you know, it's not totally unbiased, is what I'm saying. <laughs> now it, it's funny because uh, you said you wish you could burn your your self titled solo album, but I 
and I won't play it if you don't want me to, but there is a song on here. It's only me that you co-wrote with two people that have been on the show. Nancy Wilson's been on the show and Susanna uh-huh. Hoff's been on the show. I think that's a pretty good tune. It's a great tune. It's, it's not the tunes that I don't like. It's my, my performance of it. I, I always sort of felt in hindsight like, I really should have done a rock record. Mm-hmm. You know, I was known for writing rock. I should have done like a flat out. That's kind of what I do now when I'm doing stuff for myself. Just a rocker, you know. So at that time, I was kind of going through a white R&B kind of <laughs> phrase. So, uh, phase. so um, I think that there were a lot of those kind of elements in the record. And yeah. Even when I did Love is a Battlefield, I didn't do it the way we wrote it as much as I sort of put a little bit of an R&B slant on it you know yeah the four like the four albums that you you're involved in as a as a as a performer the two spider albums and device and um and then your solo album they're all very different like i can't like if someone said here's four albums that holly is a part of tell me about holly knight i'd go i I can't really get Mm -hmm. i can't get a hold on who she is but sitting across from you you do feel rock and roll to me that's what comes across. Oh yeah, me. and even when I did Device, um, that like Spider was a very musically sophisticated band. Mm-hmm. I mean, we you know, the the guitarist in that band was to this day one of the best players that I've ever worked with, Gene Black. I'm not even a big fan of solos, uh, guitar solos, unless there's a reason for them. Mm-hmm. And when there is a reason, I like when they're you know, they're musical and they're intelligent as opposed to just crazy noodling and stuff, you know. So he was very musical, and uh, my biggest regret with that band was that I I let the singer go. It would and that's not the regret. The regret was that I didn't continue to find another singer and continue mm-hmm. the band because yeah. the band was great. Yeah, that's uh, that's tough. Yeah, yeah. The weak link in that band was the singer. All right, and there's lots of singers. No, they're not. You don't think so? No, there's not a lot of singers out there. No. Not what I was looking for. I had spent two, almost three years looking for a singer, and I traveled to England, and I was just looking for not just a technically good singer. I was looking for a star and someone that just was the real thing, mm-hmm. the real deal. And, um, and, you were, and you were specifically looking for a male vocalist? or yeah. did you? Li- yeah. Okay. Yeah, I wanted a male singer. If you could have just dropped, uh, if you could have had your handpick of anyone to just be in that band, who, who would be a male singer you would go to? Uh, well, do you know who the Struts are? Yes, okay. I do know who so the Struts are. So Luke Spiller would okay. have been, that would have was been. Was he alive then? <laughs> no, I don't even think he was. I don't think he was. He was, I don't even think he was a, a, a thought at uh-huh. that point. But that's the kind of singer okay. I was looking for. Gotcha. And, um, you know, we just waited for so long and we cut the album and finally we said, we've got to just find someone that can sing and we'll tell them how to sing and what to do. Okay. And, and Mike had sung on all the demos, so we basically hired the singer. And um, in, in retrospect, I just I I, f- I felt like it, it wasn't authentic. Mm-hmm. You know, we we put this this thing together. Even the name of it was device. The only thing that was authentic was the songwriting and the playing. Um, Everything else felt manufactured to you after the yeah. fact. Okay. Yeah. Let um, me. Um, oh, I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say that if you heard the demos, you, they're, they're, the lead singer is exactly like the vocals that Mike did, and we kind of had to spoon feed him to get him to sing like that. I so. feel like a, a, a release called the Chapman Night um, or the Night Chapman demos would be something uh, something that people would be interested in hearing. 
Think, yeah, of, well, think but, about that. Yeah, but Mike's not really that good a singer. I mean, and he's also, he's old now. I mean, oh my God. He was old then. But so. he's still with us. He's still with us, yes. Um, now, here's an album that you have two songs on, and I just love this album. It makes me feel good. I love Patti Smythe as a vocalist. And this second Scandal album, which was billed as a Scandal featuring Patti Smythe, which to me is always the, oh, the band's over with if they're going to, when they attach the singer as feet, you know what I'm saying? That's the kiss of death. It's the kiss yeah. of death. But your two songs on this album are great. And I'm going to play, you know, everyone knows the warrior. You wrote this with um, Nick Gilder and, and Patty. I just saw Patty a year and a half ago out at the Canyon club in Agora Hills. Uh-huh. She's fantastic. Yeah. She, she she's is. funny. She's, <laughs> she is funny. Just, she was funny on stage. And, uh, and John McEnroe was there. It was crazy. Uh, we, we, our, our personalities are very similar. And uh, she actually inducted me into the Songwriters Hall of Fame. Oh, she, great! She performed the Warrior. Um, I feel like uh, I feel like she's an authentic person. Well, she is. She's a New Yorker like yeah. me, you know. And um, when we still talk, we're, we're actually we're we're good friends. So. Cool. And this is a uh, this went to number seven, the Warrior. As great as the warrior is, I like the other song that you wrote better. I really, I don't know how this was not a hit, a big hit. And I think it went to number 41 and, um, you wrote this with Mike and this is, uh, this is hands tied. I think this is fabulous. It's one of my favorite songs. Darling, 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 don't look across the road. How did you not work with Patti Smythe again? I mean, after this album, then she had uh, she had her solo album. I think it's called Never Enough. How how were you not brought into 
to submit songs or however it works? That's a good question, but I think we all kind of scattered in different directions. Mm-hmm. I was doing device. I wasn't working with Mike anymore. She started working with Henley and, you know, yeah. so shit happens, you know? All right. But you're and you're, and this is, you are, you're in hot demand at this point anyway, too. So maybe, maybe if they even wanted you, they might not have been able to to get you no that wouldn't have happened <laughs> okay I would, have, I would have definitely worked with you what do you do you have any idea what that song's about uh no tell me um well people don't realize it but this song's about two people that are in love with each other that are with other people ah, okay. so they're married with other people and so their hands are tied and that's interesting yeah it was this autobiographical if you don't mind me asking no okay no you said you were married three times yes um, I don't know what my response is supposed to be. <laughs> um, let me talk about what do I want to talk about here? Uh, I want to hit a song. Okay. I'm jumping, I'm jumping big time just cause I want to, I want to talk about this song that you, uh, were a co-writer on, on bat out of hell three, the monster is loose. This is 2006 for me. This is one of the best songs on this album. Uh, meatloaf can still sing at this point. Because now, not so much. But uh, this is so good. I w- and I want to know what your part of this song, what, like what you were brought in to do. I think there's four or five songwriters on this. But let, let me play it first and then we'll talk about it. This is called I'm Alive. I'm still alive. Must have been a miracle. It's been a hell of a ride. Destination still unknown It's a fact of life If you make one wrong move With a gun to your head You'd better walk the line Or you'll be left for dead song actually gives me a chill when i hear it i don't know what it is about this song is it is it four writers or let me five see writers? i'm gonna look i, I don't I, even know because i mean the desmond kept adding them on <laughs> let me find <laughs> out I'm gonna, I'm gonna look it up um how did you how were you in, uh, brought into okay it's well, um desmond said he was producing his record and asked me if i wanted to write something so and and write it with him so mm-hmm. i he just said start something so i basically came up with that piano thing and wrote all the music to it and demoed it and had lyrics and melody and everything on it. I wrote it with uh, uh, another writer named Andrea Ramonda. So yes. we really wrote that. And then the other two people that got credit were Desmond and James Michael. So well, it's four. It's four. That's what I thought. Okay. Mm. So then what happened was Desmond walked in into my studio and just took over and just started changing and rearranging and moving things around. So he's very much a writer on it too. And then when he went in the studio, apparently he was still futzing around with like not happy with some of the lyrics and Andrea would go in and work on the lyrics with him. And then one day some guy was there who I never met who apparently was friends with Meatloaf and had a way of knowing his psyche or something. I don't, <laughs> okay. I don't, I don't know what the story was. But was this so like he, a Brian Wilson's Dr. Landy type person? <laughs> I don't even know if it was that. I mean, there were no drugs involved. Okay. But, but um, so his name got added to it. But um, really, it, it, it really was a real collaboration, I would say, between the three mm-hmm. of us. 
Um, but that piano thing was that's yeah, you. That's me. That's it. Well, that's for me. That's the chilling part of the song. I mean, I just I just think that song. So I wish Meatloaf would have. Um, I wish Meatloaf would have let that album be a swan song because when you go to the well three times with the bat out of hell name, right. and I think they did a pretty pretty great job with that album. I was uh, I was pleased with it. Yeah. And stuff that's followed, I, I haven't been pleased with, but that that's strong. Was, did stuff follow? Was there more after? That? Oh yeah, there's a there's a couple of albums that come after something okay. called Hang Cool Teddy Bear, and there's there's like three albums that came after. So anyway, all, right. um, all I can remember is just this. Something I, some reality TV thing I saw him on where he was fighting with Gary Busey. I think he was, yeah, he was on The Celebrity oh, Apprentice. Oh God, that was so embarrassing. Yes. Um, <sighs> now, in 1988, you work with John Bon Jovi and Richie Sambora. This is they're coming off of Slippery and Wet, their bi- their biggest thing. So now they have to follow up this third album that was so monumental in their career, and so they're making the New Jersey album. So how do you get hooked up with uh, with John and Richie? Um, I actually met John, I met Richie later in Jersey when we finished the song, but I met John because I went to um, the Rainbow one night with a f- bass player friend of mine, Phil Soussaint, who, he said, let's just go to the Rainbow and hang out. So I was like, okay. Phil wrote a Shot in the Dark for uh, Ozzy, and um, that's a hassle for him to this day, I believe. Really? No, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, well, yeah. we were just buddies. We never, we weren't working together okay. at that point. And, um we walked into the Rainbow, and John was sitting there in one of the red banquets with all these women around him and stuff. And I said, "Will you introduce me?" It was as simple as he says, "Yeah." So he goes up. And well, there you go. This is what I was talking about. You're in the room with someone, and you're like, "Let's yeah. let's meet this person." Yeah, that's when it's easy. I mean, I can take over from there. They yeah. can go wait in the car. I just need the introduction. Yeah. You know? I would imagine you would have no problem. Yeah. So I walked up, and he introduced us after they said hello, and. When he said my name, John, like, it was something out of, like, um, Goodfellas or something. He just told the girls all to leave. <laughs> he was showing you respect. They were respect. like the showgirls. He was showing you respect. Yeah, and he pats the seat next to him, and he says, <laughs> sit down. So I sit down, and he puts his arm around me, and he goes, how come we're not writing together? And you, did you say, you tell me? I, that's exactly what I said to him. I said, um, we, we should be. And then, so we ended up literally, like, the next day, he came over to my studio. And, oh, it was really funny, too, because he came. There there was, a, I guess, a, a, a fan that had been following him all over the city, and she followed him to my apartment building. <laughs> and he went upstairs, and we told the doorman, when, hours later, like, we, we wrote Stick to Your Guns, the, the bulk of it. Mm-hmm. And when we were done... I called down and I asked the doorman, because at that time my studio was in, a, in an apartment in a high-rise, and I said, is, is that girl, I described the girl, and I said, is she still down there? And he said, yeah. And so I had like some wig from a party or something, like a long black wig, and I gave it to him. And I put my hair up in a hat, and I left in my car, and she followed me, and he went the other way. Terrific. Very it was nice. like something out of a cliche out of a movie. I love it. But, yeah. So... <laughs> I just remember that about that day. It was really funny. So we finished. I went to Jersey. I had to do some writing with Hall and Oates. And while I was there, John was back in Jersey. So we finished the song with Richie at that point. I was really disappointed it wasn't a single because I, I thought it was a great song. And I'm actually going to play uh, the ver- I'm going to play the demo version because I, I I love it because you can hear Richie. How do you more. have the demo version? Because they released a, a two CD deluxe set of um, of New Jersey, and the second CD is called "The Sons of Beaches: 
demos because at one time that album is going to be called Sons of Beaches. Ha-ha. Is this sort of like a thing now? Everybody releases their I demos? I think so. So that's why I'm saying that. I think the, Gene Simmons went over the top with that with oh, the yeah. vault, though. Yeah, I mean, uh, 100, that, 100 songs. No, it's more. It's like 100. Maybe 400. It's crazy. Yeah, I'm actually uh, on there with uh, Spider. We demoed some songs for him. Oh, cool. I wish I knew that because I have that. Um, really? I have those songs. I have that box. I mean, I didn't. Some, well, I won't tell how I got it. But um, okay, so stick to your guns. This is a great tune. And. Um, this album sold 10 million copies. Is that, is that a lot of, do you, do you get a, a nice percentage of that having one song on an album that so, sells 10 million copies? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Good. <laughs> I, that's all you need to tell me. I just, uh, I just want to make sure what in my head, that's what happens. But so. you have to sell millions of records because back then you were only making four cents a tin. <laughs> it's not much more now. Okay. And that's, and then you had to split it with other writers. So, you know, yeah, you have to sell a lot of records to make. How were John and Richie together? Were they tight? Were they, were they, were they close like brothers? Yeah. Yeah, they were. I wish Richie and John were back together there. For me, they're Mick and Keith. They're, they're Steve and Joe. I mean, I really think, I, I really hope sometime they're, they're back together again. Cause I really like, I like when Richie is singing backup background vocals with John and when they sing together I really like it but this yeah. is this is the demo of Stick to Your Guns written by John, Richie and Holly So you wanna be a cowboy Well you know it's more than just for I You gotta know the real thing If you wanna know the other side Ain't nobody riding shotgun Also, when I find out about uh, that you co-wrote Stick to Your Guns, the first thing I think is, why, why didn't they write more songs together? I'm just like, why didn't you? How come only one? Hey, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm good friends with, uh, with uh, Phil Lux. I've used him a lot on stuff. And he's great. He's fantastic guitarist. He's amazing. I just... Um, there's just something about John and Richie that uh, I think is a diehard Bon Jovi fan. Yeah, that, but it's, it's often like that. I mean, come I know. on. David Lee Roth was the only singer for Van Halen's the way I look at it. I yeah. mean, yeah. It's a, you could go on and on with yeah. a lot of, you know. I agree. I, 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 I remember get what, a friend I get. of mine was saying, um, uh, I said, what are you doing tonight? And she said, I'm going to see Queen. I said, well, what do you mean you're going to see Queen? <laughs> and he's dead. Yeah, but they have blah, blah, blah. It's like, ah, No. No, not the same. Yeah, like I saw I that can't. version of Queen I, because I had never seen I had never seen Roger and Brian play live. So that's oh, really I saw why them I saw like won- seven, eight times. They were my favorite bands, so. and, and they're one of my favorite bands too. I just it just for whatever reason I never got to see them, mm-hmm. you know, in in my youth. But uh, so I did go. I did see uh, them with Adam quite a few years ago, just because I wanted to see those guys play live. But yeah, it's not even close to 
queen. No. Not even close. No. Um, it's not to take away from his talent. It's just, no, it's no, no. Just, it's just, it's, just not, it's, there's a magic combination, mm-hmm. you know, um, that happens. Yeah. And for me, Adam, Adam is very, very musical theater where Freddie had that, but Freddie also rocked. And I, for me, Adam well, Lambert doesn't exactly. rock. Exactly. He's more Broadway. Yeah, he just and, doesn't and besides rock. Besides which, Freddie's the OG, you know? <laughs> it's, yeah, I mean, we're... He we're, made that whole thing, you know? And I, I resonated with that because I was classically trained. And I think there's a lot of classical elements in, in everything that yeah. I do, um, which is why I connected so much with them. You know, I was going to say, by the way, that demo sounds like a second demo that they did because okay. I did a demo with Bon Jovi and... Chances are I had a programmed drum, and that sounded like real drums because I could hear it speeding up. Yeah, because so. um, Tico counts it in at the beginning. I, yeah. I, I, so that was a demo they did from the demo okay. that I originally did with them. Now, if that would have been your demo, would you have had to make a call to someone to get some royalties? <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I went through that with a movie, uh, Thelma and Louise. Uh, they... They used my demo. Uh, they had there was another big producer that had produced a track for an artist that I had ri- written with, and I had two songs in that movie. And when I went to see the movie, they ended up using my demo. And apparently, the story was that they didn't like the version that the producer had done, and and Ridley had said that unless we got the demo, he wasn't going to put it in the movie. So, I made them um, do a retraction on that so that I at least sort of re. I don't even know what happened. Probably nothing. I probably just, <laughs> I probably just ruffled but everyone's you, feathers. Yeah, you, were, you, you made some waves uh, just, <laughs> and in nothing case, ha- nothing just in ha- case. Right, exactly. Let's jump, uh, let's jump around uh, a little but bit. But the demo is very, I mean, the, even the, the recorded version and that um, second demo, are, are, I mean, that song is pretty much the same as it's it a great always tune. was. Yeah, it's a great song. It's a, the, the demo is just a little more raw. John's voice didn't it, seem as produced on the demo. Yeah, I think what happened was that, you know, they were getting accused of having a lot of references in their songs to cowboys. Yeah. So they had, you know, I'm a cowboy on a steel horse. All right. So it was like enough already. I think they just didn't want, (laughs) they didn't want another tune that had a reference to, you know. Yeah. And John did that Young Guns 2 soundtrack and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, Blaze of Glory and, you know. Uh, In 1990, you work with uh, Jimmy Barnes. From uh, Cold Chisel, yes. you guys co-wrote a song called "Between Two Fires." Here's another uh, another uh, how it relates to me. Uh, Tony Brock plays drums on this, and Tony's been on the show. And uh, how did you get involved with Jimmy Barnes? He he's in Australia. How do you how did, does he contact you? What happens? Yeah, he came to America, and uh, I'm trying to remember if he had already he did a duet of the best in Australia with Tina. So. That's right. That's right. You're right. He may have done that already. I don't remember what the timing was, but um, yeah, he just, he conned, or his peeps, con- I don't know, it was a while ago. I don't remember what the exact mm-hmm. thing was. But did you guys sit in a room together and write this song? Yes. Okay, absolutely. cool. And um, now when you write a song like this. It was my, it came from me okay. first. That's what I wanted to know. Yeah. How, how often does it, does it ever start from scratch? Like you guys get in a room together and we start from scratch. Does that happen? Or does well, someone that, always bring something? That happened um, quite a bit with with Chapman and I, uh, Mike Chapman. But most of the time, although even with Chapman, like Love's a Battlefield and stuff like that, I have these sort of ideas in my head, and mm-hmm. I just, I kind of like it when I walk in a room and at least have something under my belt in case we're standing there like with our thumbs up, our asking, okay, now what do we do? You know, right. So um, and 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 often I've just shown up in the songs like. 
almost written, and I just leave enough there that the artist can kind of step in and write with me, which I hate doing because I could have finished it on my own, you yeah. know. Um, but uh, I think only once in my entire career did I enter into a situation where the song was already written and then I had to un help them rewrite parts of it, which was Ragdoll. And I, I don't really like doing that. It's not what I'm about. Mm -hmm. um, but I wanted so badly to work with Aerosmith that I agreed to do it. And this was at a time when they were over. They were done. They were like, you know, heroin demons. And um, actually, right before I met him. So when I met him, it was right at the time of um, permanent vacation where they had totally cleaned up. And they yeah. had just signed with John Claude. They had a new deal with Gavin. So they were in a really good place. But... Um, Usually I don't like to do that. I like to bring something in, you know. So I'm pretty sure that that was my baseline. It's, a lot of times it's the baseline, you know. In Ragdoll? No, in, no, no, no. I'm talking about Between Two Fires. Okay, well, let's hear a little bit of Between Two Fires. He liked it well enough to call the album Two Fires. Yeah. Here we go. did want to ask you one more thing about uh, Bon Jovi and when you were writing with John and Richie since they were coming off slippery when wet were they um were they were they feeling the pressure or were they just chill were they just like no we're just making another record or were they like we need this we need that they were okay they, they were they totally knew. They fixated knew. on we have to we have to try and top what we just did yeah yeah and they did yeah New Jersey sold more albums than slippery when wet so yeah. good for them uh, my favorite band, Holly, is Cheap Trick. In, uh, in 1988, Cheap Trick, uh, see, I feel like they do have a comeback. I feel the term comeback is okay with this because Tom Peterson comes back in the band. I remember buying Lap of Luxury. I remember seeing Tom on the cover. I remember seeing him in the Flame video. And then I remember opening up the album and seeing that Cheap Trick didn't write all these songs. And then I remember reading that, no, the record label said, no, you guys need to use some outside writers. And, and I think they did maybe a little bit against their will. But uh, there's, an album, uh, there's a song that you, uh, did you and Mike write Space? Is yeah. that you? Yes, that yeah. was the Chapman Knight song. And um, I think it was first recorded by Charlie Sexton. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've, I've, I just re-recorded it recently with a, a female singer named Lena Hall, who's okay. a badass rock singer. I, I, I love this song. I mean, I, I know a lot of diehard Cheap Trick fans didn't like some of the outside, maybe outside songs on this album, but I, I think Robin's vocal on this is so, I don't know, is it sexy? I don't know what it is, but I really think I like it. Yeah, I, I, 
I think the song was better than the recording of it, and I love, I, I also love Cheap Trick. I just wish the production of it had been more raw, like the version I've just done, and even the demo we did mm-hmm. was was more rocky, and Charlie's version of it was more Bowie-ish, you know, he'd yeah, been yeah, yeah. playing with Bowie, and so it was very Bowie-ish, yeah. but the version that I've just cut now, and it's kind of cool to have a girl singing it. And because, did you produce the version that you're talking about yes. now? Okay. Yes. Um, I'm happy. I'll send. I'll send it to you if you want. To I would it. love to hear it's it. Really good. It's sort of cooler in today's age, mm-hmm. uh, day and age, to, for a woman to be able to say, um, "I know you're looking for a, a physical relation. Yeah. We may not be the perfect combination. You need your love. I need my mental stimulation." And then she says, "I need some, some space. space." Yeah, it's so cool. Come back some other time and place. So. Um, I just figured again the production on that was a little disappointing. This is uh, this is the production that all of uh, of the of the of the artists that were so big and influential in the seventies to continue in the eighties. Everyone eventually succumbed to this big eighties production. Of yeah, I mean Hart did it, Aerosmith, yeah. everyone. But this is um, this is Richie Zito produced this, and this is uh, let's hear some space because I just love Robin Zander's voice. I know. Tom's bass on that. I wish it was. I wish it was in the mix a little bit more. But they are the nicest guys. Like when I think about all the different people I've worked with, they're just sweeties. That's good to know because that is my favorite band. I've probably seen them forty or fifty times. And they're so cool. Let's talk about some more women that you worked with. You worked with uh, Susie Quattro. You wrote a song for Susie Quattro. It's a song called "Whatever Love Is." I don't know if this is a song that you and Mike head and then she just recorded it or if you guys wrote it specifically for her um no they were songs that i wrote with mike she did that i think she did another one fear the unknown and i think he just wanted to produce some tracks Mm -hmm. of more recently i never actually met her or was involved in that but you've heard the song yeah yeah Uh uh-huh i had um sheree curry from the runaways on recently Uh and i asked her about you know, getting into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, if she would be excited to perform with the Runaways. And she goes, I'm not going to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame if Susie Quattro isn't inducted before me. And I was like, all right. <laughs> I'm like, don't you want to go for the fans? She's like, nope. I'm like, okay. But this is, uh, I like this song a lot, Whatever Love Is, uh, produced by Mike Chapman. And this is from 2011, Susie Quattro. Make anybody care, yeah. 
like that song a lot. That's a cool tune. Thank you. I want to play something from the Donnas, though. What was it like working on the album called Bitchin' from 2007? You co-wrote two songs on this. I wrote seven songs you with wrote- them, but two of them made it on the record. These two songs are fantastic. Where are those other five? I have them. I have recordings of them. I don't think the Donnas have recorded another album since 2007. No. Uh-uh. Let's hear this song called Wasted. This is fantastic. I can't sleep, can't even breathe. You're a devious distraction. When you put your hands on me, you start a chemical reaction. That has all the elements that I love. Every, yeah. I love everything about that song. I co-produced that and the other one here for the party. It's so good. What, what, are, the, what are the girls doing? I, the, I, had to, I had to ask after the fact for the credit because basically they got some other schmo to come in and, and copy everything I did. And they said he produced it. And I sent them the demos and I said, are you telling me that he produced this? No. So no. they had to give me credit. Did that cause a rift then with you wanting to work with the, that band again? No, no. I, I think they got dropped by the label um, at that point, and that's really what happened. And I don't know why they dropped them. They were so great. It was such a yeah. great record. I, the logic of why things happen in this music business yeah. are beyond me. You know? I saw them on the weirdest triple bill. It was the Donnas, then the Knack, and then Alice Cooper at the Universal Amphitheater. Wow. Yeah. It's a, all great bands. I don't know I, if they all a, go together. Well, let's see. The Knack was Chapman. That no, was that's true. My, and I, I knew, I've known Prescott forever. Um, Prescott's been on the show, so is Burton. Oh, yeah? I just had Doug's sister on last week. We did a Remembering Doug oh, wow. episode because it's been 10 years on Valentine's Day that he passed. Wow. Alice Cooper, we used to open up for um, when I was in Spider, so I've always been a huge fan of his. He's great. He's yeah. still great. Um, I don't want to keep you too long, but I could. I mean, I could, are you having fun? Are you okay? How are I'm, you holding up? I'm yeah, I'm fine. All right. Can we talk about a couple more artists sure. that you worked with? But if you want to go, you tell me, and I'll let you go too. This isn't a hostage situation. <laughs> also, I want to thank you for embracing podcasts because um, you just were on the Hustle podcast, and John's a friend of mine. John oh, lives he? in Denver. Uh, our shows are different because uh, he always is on the phone with his guests, so he has access to everyone in the world. But for me, I always have the guest here face to face because I find it's a more intimate thing. I can see your face. I can, you know, I can try to figure out if I, uh, how I'm doing, and and I get to meet you. So, and I like to watch uh, the artists listen to their own music and uh, and try to figure out or ask well, what they're thinking. Well, this has been great. So good, good. I'm glad. But thank you because. Um, this really, this really reaches like so many people. I mean, people are going to buy this music 
you know, they're going to be like, I never heard spider. And then they'll go and then and you'll, get, uh, you'll get a couple pennies, which will be good. <laughs> and according to you, literally, to literally a couple pennies. But uh, let's talk about you, you worked with Hart on, um, on the, the self-titled album and Bad Animals. And you had a song on Brigade. Let's talk about this song, Never, which went to number four. This, is, uh, this had to be very exciting because uh, Hart, uh, Hart was back. I mean, again, they never left, but now they were you know, making music that was charting again. Mm-hmm. So what was it like working with Anne and Nancy? And Nancy's been here. She's fantastic. So nice. I just, you know, I, uh, Trudy Green, who was part of their management. Mm-hmm. HK management at the yeah. time, I think, yeah. Right, which is not my management. But and the reason I know that is because I used to read the liner notes. Right. <laughs> but um, HK, yeah, we had the same initials, but that's where it begins and ends. Right. Um, and she asked me if I would like to meet with the girls. They were at SIR, and they were getting ready to do no- another record. And, and I was very excited at the prospect, and... From the moment I walked into the rehearsal and met them, we just, we had such a, a simpatico. You know, I mean, it's sort of like there weren't a lot of women um, in rock music. So when mm-hmm. we would meet each other, we'd sort of have this little sort of club sort of vibe, you yeah, know, yeah. like, uh, especially as we were all pretty much in a much larger, like, uh, man cave of men. So, and I was an anomaly because I was the really. Desmond said this once that, and I, and I think it's true that I was the first. I was the first woman, as an independent songwriter, to walk into the man cave and be accepted into that sort of you know environment, and um, and gain their respect and and work with them in the way that I could be like one of the guys, you know. Yeah. And so there weren't a lot of us. So when I met Anne and Nancy, we just really sort of gravitated towards each other, and we had a lot of fun. I mean, I worked on like four records with them. Um, and never was the first single that that came out. I had like three songs on that record, but never was the single or one of them. And it was exciting, you know, it, it, that, that was a, such an exciting time for me because it was like one act after another that were totally unrelated. You know, so there was Benatar and then Bon Jovi and then Heart and... And some unknown bands that had hits like yeah. uh, Animotion, mm-hmm. you know. Did um, and you played keyboards on on some of this album? I did. Yeah. Were, at any point, were you asked to maybe go on tour as the keyboard player? No, no. I was never. If they had asked me, I probably would have done it. Yeah, it seemed um, like it would have been a fun if you're getting along with the girls. Yeah, yeah. I call them the girls. It sounds dismissive. Women. <laughs> Let's I call us all the girls. It's okay. <laughs> Let's uh, let's hear never, and then I'm gonna hear, and then we're gonna play all eyes too. So here's never.
So how was Ron Nevison to be uh, in the studio with? If you played keyboards on this, you were obviously in the studio with... Uh, he was a tyrant. Him. I mean, he wasn't a tyrant with me, but I saw him being a tyrant with some of the other band members. All right. Um, he uh, made a great record with him. Yeah. And it was him, Don Grierson was involved in that. And um, they... Uh, they were up in, uh, I think they were up in the record plant in Sausalito or something. And so I used to go up on the weekends and it was just a really fun period in my life. Um, and then after, like, I worked on maybe the fourth record, there was Brigade, there was Bad Animals. Um, we lost touch. And, and it, it was really bizarre because I live in the Palisades and Nancy moved to the Palisades. Yeah. And I never saw her when she moved to the Palisades. It was the strangest thing. So we and we would run into each other every now and then at some event or something, and it was always so great to see each other. But then we just, I don't know, I, life is like that sometimes. Yeah. You know, you don't really know why you've lost touch, but people go in different directions. Then there are other people, like I've had people in my life where I, you know, didn't talk to them for 20 years, and then they came back in my life, and then we would get close again, and then I would remember why I stopped talking to them 20 years ago. <laughs> oh, let's... Uh... Let's hear All Eyes, and then I'm gonna, we're going to play some There's the Girl, which you and Nancy co-wrote. So here's uh, All Eyes from the self-titled Heart album. some of uh, your personal songwriting heroes? You know, I, before I answer that, I was just going to say it's interesting when I look back now that like sometimes when I wrote with the bands, whether it was Heart um, or Kiss, mm -hmm. I'm thinking of those two in particular, I didn't write, the songs that we wrote were not the same sort of caliber as, say, the songs I wrote as a songwriter on my own. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I, I can really see it when I listen. Um, although never was, you know, it, that song really came from me and Gene Black, who was the guitarist and device, and we brought it to them. And then they put down their two names combined as Connie. Um, so, uh, so that song was sort of already pretty much intact when we brought it to them and we finished the lyrics on some of it with them. But on a song like All Eyes, because we wrote it from scratch, it's that thing that I was talking about mm -hmm. of sometimes, you know, even if a band is like the biggest band in the world, and you certainly Kiss is one of them, um, they're not known for their songwriting, you know? They're, right. Okay? Yeah. No. So when I sit down to write with them and I want to be polite and I'm, I'm worried about, like, you know, you know, I want them to be happy and all that, I just don't think that the level of my songwriting is up to par with what it is when I write alone or with one or two other songwriters. Like Billy Steinberg is someone I've written with. You know, that's what he does for a living. Yeah. And it's a different experience, you know, and you can hear it. 
You can hear it in the songs. I mean, Are you All Lies like, is not a love is a battlefield. It's not an yeah. evergreen song. So you're it's saying, a nice album track. It's, it's not that it's bad. It's just not what, the best of what I have to offer. It just kind of moves the album along to yeah. the next song. Yeah. Exactly. And you're saying... Uh, and I'm sure they feel the same way. They don't do live or anything. No, they don't so. play that like, song I'm live. just being honest about like my, you know... Um, you know, strengths and, and, and weaknesses yeah. and things like that. Um, in answer to your question about what songwriters did I look yeah. up to? Yeah. Well, two of them, for instance, or three of them, um, growing up, like Burt Bacharach and Hal David, you know, I just, I love that, that the sound and the songs that they wrote, and they were very poppy, you know, which yeah. is surprising when you think, okay, I like rock music, but as far as just real, just songwriters that aren't in bands and stuff. Um, them and Todd Rundgren was a huge influence for me. So yeah. why isn't he getting inducted? And in, it, it's crazy it's too. Insane. Yeah, you know, I really I used to go see him when he played with Utopia and before that. And I think a lot of my style, like the way I arrange chords, is very similar to something that he does. It's a little thing that he does. He'll play. He'll play like a, for instance, a G chord in, on the top and on the bottom. The normal root note would be G. Mm-hmm. But what he does is he moves it down a step, so he's got F playing with a G chord. And a lot of his songs, if you just sit down at a piano, try that, and play what I just said, like play a G chord and an F bass note, you will get the Todd Rundgren sound. You know? <laughs> to him, there was Joni Mitchell, I mean, lyrics, you know, Stones. I mean, now when you talk about bands, there are some of the best songwriters are, are in bands. Not all of them. Some of them are terrible writers. And here's the difference. You know, just because you're a great singer doesn't mean you have to be a great writer. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't go to an actor like Anthony Hopkins and say, you must write a great screenplay for this movie. Right. They're different gifts. Yes. You know? And then, and, and just, and, and back to Todd real quick, just, if you just look at his... Um, I would love to work with him. If you just look at the albums that he's produced, that oh, alone, yeah. that alone should get him into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but sometimes, somehow... Did he produce a Tubes record? Uh, yeah, he produced uh, he produced Rich. Uh, Remote Control oh. and uh, Love Bomb, and he produced Hall and Oates. Produced Hall and Oates, Meatloaf, and then those songs like Can Furs. We Still Be Friends, and oh God, it's just you know. So he was a big influence, Joni with her lyrics, um, and then you know, God, there's so many other. But as far as just songwriters, mm-hmm. those are. Those were my big influences. Well, my listeners are going to hear this story two episodes in a row, but I want to tell you this. My, my daughter, my youngest is 15, and I made just a, I just made a, a Todd Rundgren uh, compilation CD on my own, songs that I like uh, for the car, you know, to listen to driving back and forth to school. And uh, sometimes when I do that, my daughter will be like, what, what is this? Turn, I don't want to, can, we, can I play my music? But um, we listened to this Todd Rundgren CD. I'm not kidding, like, for like a month, every day, morning and afternoon, to drive to and from, and then pick up, and she would start. She it was getting into her DNA. She was singing the songs, and because she's in musical theater anyway. But um, at one point, she just turned to me in the car and she goes, "Dad, this is the best music." And I was like, I felt like, woohoo! I want a dad medal. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, she just didn't, she enjoyed it so much, and that uh, that My was pretty cool. My kids are also were majorly into like classic rock, mm-hmm. you know, especially when Guitar Hero came out, and yeah, I had course. a song on two of the games, and so they were. See, I you never, are the cool mom. <laughs> well, that was when they were young. Now, you know, what were the two songs on Guitar Hero? Um, See, it was The Warrior, which was on the 80s one. Okay. And then it was Ragdoll with Aerosmith. Oh. 
See, that's got to be, there's so many ways that music can make you money though. So, I mean, that's, yeah. that's something that you never thought about in, in, when you wrote those songs, that they are going to be part of a video game. It's kind of crazy. But to be honest, the, the things that have really sort of garnered the most income and been the most lucrative are, you know, movies and TV. I mean, some of these songs are what they call evergreens now, where they just get used all the time. Over and, and over so, and over again. 80s music is really popular at the moment. So, you know, I had songs in Glow, the Netflix show. Yeah, Glow. yeah, yeah. The wrestling yeah, show. Yeah. yeah. I, had several, I had the theme song in that. I would imagine I would imagine some of your Stranger songs were, were probably on Glee when that was Glee on. Glee was on. Yeah, I had songs on Glee. I've had it, them on everything. My favorite one is when, I, when Love is a Battlefield was immortalized on South Park. <laughs> And he's got a whole animated version of like, you know, 50 people um, singing Love is a Battlefield. In fact, if you go to my website, which is hollynight.com. That's easy to remember. Com, excuse me. Not, dot com. Dot com. Uh, there's a video that I edited together on the homepage, and it's about 15 minutes long, but it has a selection. I have to do part two because it's not up to date, but I have a, a lot of songs, the usages of them. So I've got like Family Guy and, mm -hmm. and South Park and a lot of really um, hilarious things. Yeah, that must be fun when you when they when these animated shows, these popular animated shows use your, use your music. That's cool. Yeah, well, that's when you know you've really made it um, because finally there was something cool that my kids all recall. Oh, my mom's <laughs> songs on South Park. You know. <laughs> Um, also, I want to say you're, uh, I don't know how active you are on Twitter, but you are at Holly Nightlife. Correct. On Twitter. Are you well, on Instagram I, also? I'm pretty active. I mean, not, I'm not like all the time, every second of my life, every day, but I probably have about 40,000 followers. That's pretty sweet. So people follow, uh, follow Holly They're and aware. get her some more, get her some more followers. Give is, me more love. Yeah, is more there, love. um. And I have an Instagram as well. On your uh, on your Wikipedia bio, it says that you wrote a song with Ozzy Osbourne, but that song has right. never been. Did he record it? <laughs> he recorded it. He just never put it on his record. It's, never, and it's it's such a torture because he loved that song. Every time I see him to this day, he apologizes. The minute I see him, oh, I'm so sorry, I didn't put that <laughs> song. It was such a beautiful song, and oh, oh, oh. you know, but and, and it's like it's okay, it's fine. It's not, What's like, the song not, called? It's called Slow Burn. Slow Burn. And he cut it, and he played it to me on the phone. He said, oh, this is going to be our first single. It never even made it on the fucking record. Uh, yeah, that was the osmosis period, I think. I think, I, that's... I think there was probably some interference from labels or people that, I, I don't know why, because maybe it was too melodic. I mean, mm -hmm. he walked in and said he was a huge ham, uh, fan of the Beatles, and especially McCartney, and he wanted to do like a long and winding road. Yeah. So we did a ballad. And it was great. And when he played to me, I was like, wow, this is fantastic. And then, oh, who knows, maybe yep. the powers that be. He and Sharon have always been so nice to me, though. I mean, I, you know, I wish they would have cut it. When I read that, when I read about that song. Oh, and I asked him for a copy of it, by the way, and they, he said no. <laughs> well, so I only have the demo. Oh, well, when I, when I saw that on Wikipedia, I thought that it was maybe going to be on his new album, which comes out in a week. And then I went and looked at the track list for that. I'm like, oh, no. Well, no. I wonder where this song's from. So kind of had to do some digging Never to figure it out. Never, Never too late. Never too late. Um, let's hear Ozzy, it. if you're listening, you could always put it on the next record. <laughs> Here's uh, There's the Girl. This went to number 12. You and Nancy wrote this together? Did you? Yes. Was this like uh, you get in the room and there's nothing, there's no song at all? No, but again, I had, you I had, had something. the seeds to it. Okay, here we go. 
So is it safe to say you get a better vibe when you listen to this song than you do when you listen to All Eyes? Yeah, although I wasn't happy with the production of this song. I thought it was very sort of watery, and you know, I heard it as being very guitar edgy, a little faster, and just more rock. You know, what's the percentage of the time when you are actually happy with how a song? is in its final form where you're like, yes, that's how I wanted it. Or is it never, can it never be that? Um, well, I've kind of learned after all these years of doing this to live with whatever it's, you know, it's going to come out and be. But, um, I would say that maybe, you know, 50% of the time I was happy with it. And the other times I actually thought I could have produced it better, but there's this sort of, there's this knee-jerk reaction to thinking that women can rock or women can produce or anything. It's It hasn't changed at all over the decades. It, you don't think it's changed one bit since you no, started? not at all. And in fact, I will send you, and you can play it on your show, I will send you, in fact, I have it on my computer in my car, I will send you the version of Space that I cut, and you tell me. I would love, and I'll, I, I will definitely play it, and I would love to hear it. That's yeah. cool. That'll be a rock solid exclusive. Um, what about this Lou Graham song, "Just Between You and Me"? How do you like? Did you like how that turned out? I loved how that turned out. That was very close to when we when I wrote it, and I sort of had a track, and he came in, and we wrote it in one day. But for the uh, bridge, which he went off and wrote, because he was in the studio making a record, and he really was sort of motivated to. I love that when when they're in the studio cutting a record and mm-hmm. they want to go right to the studio and cut the song you wrote. That's brilliant. You know, that doesn't happen a lot, but that that's what happened. And he, you know, we had written all the, I had written the music to the bridge, but he went in and just sung over it. He's such a great singer too. I mean, I've been very lucky to work with amazing singers. You, you know, if, if I look at the eighties period, you've worked with like, you know, you've worked with, I don't want to say everyone, but Anyone that I love, you've 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 worked with them, or they've recorded a Holly Knight song. So yeah, I've been or, or, very very. That's why I wake up with a lot of gratitude. And a song like "Just Between You and Me," you guys have a, you. It's the two of you, so you, it's fifty fifty. You share that writing credit. Absolutely. Um, you know, a lot of times I share fifty fifty, whether I've done the lines share mm-hmm. or not. It's just like it's a weird thing to get in a room and sort of decipher who wrote what, and it's kind of insulting and. Well, so, yeah, I think it's in Lou's book. Uh, he talks about the song, I Want to Know What Love Is. Uh-huh. Do you know this story at all? No, but he, what, did he write this most song and he didn't get the, he, the he, sheriff Mick, credit? Mick was, uh, Mick, you know, Lou came in and helped Mick. For, Mick was stuck and Lou helped him. And I guess the way it reads in the book, like they almost, it's, it was almost like an old timey used car salesman. Like you would write down the, the percentage on a paper and slide it over to the guy and like, but I think I think Mick said, "How much percentage do you think you should get?" And he goes, "Like I forty percent." And Mick said, "I'll give you five. And Lou and said, "He's not even Jewish." And Lou said, "And Lou said, just take it." Mm. So he literally just even gave up his five percent of what is one of the biggest foreigner songs. That's funny, you know. Sad. Um, Paul Stanley call, called me up and. We had gotten together about a month before that to jam. And, and I knew Paul for years on and off quite a lot. Mm-hmm. We had the same manager. We dated on and off. We were friends. And he came over. At this point, we were just friends. We were, uh, and we worked together that day. He wanted to write with me. And um, 
And it's interesting because when I first met him, I hadn't made it yet. I was just a young little Holly mm-hmm. Knight, like all of 18 or whatever. And now I'm like sort of made it. And he's like, you want to write with me, you know? Um, but I get it. So anyway, he came over and I started playing Hide Your Heart and singing the entire melody, even the na 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 na, hey hey hey, It's a great it's song, Holly. It's fantastic. Well, he went and wrote the song, finished the, he took that idea and wrote the song with Desmond and then called me up and he said, I'm going to send you, we wrote a song around that idea that you were singing. <laughs> And we want to know if you think you should get credit. We wrote a song around your song. Right. And we want to know if you think you should get credit. And I was thinking, okay, I'll listen. I was thinking, well, if I didn't write anything, I'm not going to ask for credit. I mean, mm-hmm. It's not like I need it. You know, I listened to that and I was like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. So I called him. I said, yeah, "Fuck yeah!" So what are you? That's a, that was like almost like insulting, but. Let's hear a little of uh, Lou Graham's voice, and then I want to talk about uh, the two songs that you wrote, uh, co-wrote with Paul and Psycho Circus, and then we'll, then we'll get you out of here. We'll get you on your way. But here's uh, got to hear Lou Graham's voice. see Lou with Foreigner twice before before he got ill with his brain tumor and life you know dealt him a, a, a bum hand for a while and he's just so phenomenal yeah he just, got inducted the same year as I did into the songwriting him and Nick yeah very and cool and Stephen and uh, Tyler and Joe Perry so it was, it was cool it was like, yeah, it's like I hadn't the, seen any of them for 20 years so it was like a rock, a rock and roll high school reunion well, I hope you took pictures <laughs> you know <laughs> I I should have brought someone with me to take pictures because you know when it's happening to you you're not taking pictures. Right. And, but yeah, we have some pictures. Well, you're living in the moment. Yeah. You wrote a song with uh with Lita Ford called Stiletto. Uh, Divine was recorded a song that you and Mike wrote. That's one of my favorite songs. Well, then let's hear it because why not? It's one of your favorites. Why wouldn't I play that? It's called Pleasure and Pain. It went to number eleven in Australia. No, it went to number one in Australia. I'm sorry, it went to number one in Australia. What did I say? It was a huge... You said 11. I did. It went to number one. I read the thing wrong. I forgive you. <laughs> um, the, yeah, the Divinals and, and, and Jimmy Barnes, they never really broke in the States. But in their, in their homeland, Jimmy Barnes is huge. Well, they started to break a later, uh, a little bit later when yeah. they did "I Touch Myself," which right. was a Billy Steinberg song. But they should have made it on "Pleasure and Pain." That was like that could have been a number one. That was up there with "The Warrior" and "Battlefield." You know, let's prove it right now. Let's hear it.
so good. Christine Amphlett, is that mm-hmm. how you say her name? Mm-hmm. Rock in peace because she's no longer with us. I know. Sad. So sad. Yeah. She was a brilliant singer. Yeah, very, I mean, great. I mean, their stuff is just so good. It's yeah. Poppy and a little punky and rocky. It's, 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 it's great. Um, songs have been recorded by Kim Wilde and Marilyn Martin and Sean Colvin for the Stort Little 2 soundtrack. And... You wrote a song, co-wrote a song on Paul Stanley's Live to Win solo album called It's Not Me. And then there's this Psycho Circus album from 1998, which I, I believe they wanted just every song to be a, an anthem because every song sounds like it's some type of a, an anthem. And you co-wrote uh, I Pledge Allegiance to the State of Rock and Roll and Raise Your Glasses. How do you feel? Do you have any memory of those songs? How do you feel about those songs? I think Raise Your Glasses is actually a great song. I don't know why they didn't put it out as a single, because it could have become like one of those songs in every bar in America, like Raise Your Glasses. And then right. um, they didn't, and Pink came along and did that song with the Raise Your Glasses. Yeah, yeah, it. yeah, yeah. Uh, if someone had to do it at some point. Well, let's hear a little bit of Raise Your Glasses. Psycho Circus album, it was, a, it was another one of those Kiss Illusions where they were on the reunion tour and here's the album. There's Peter, Paul, Ace, and Gene. And then <laughs> that's not who's on the album at all. It's like everyone is on the album. It's just insane. But They've um, just been doing it for too long. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I, I, I heard a rumor that they don't even play live when they're out there touring anymore. So. Well, you can see some videos on YouTube that will prove that uh, quite uh, obviously, but uh, uh, not a fan of that. Know. Not yeah. a fan. No, you're not saying it. It's, uh, it's just out there. Well, Everyone. Like you know. I said, the, those are the kind of songs that, you know, with what I do, mm-hmm. sort of brought down what I do to mm-hmm. a level that's kiss. Right. You know, which is very different than what I do on my own. Right. Did uh, I put that nicely? Succinct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, uh, you know. look, to have a song on, on, a, on a Kiss record or, or these, you know, a song on Heart that you're not, you know, it, not, not invested in, but that it doesn't move you personally, that's okay. I mean, you still made a great song, even if you don't, you know well, what I mean? Well, I think it would be dishonest to say that every single song you, you, right. you love that comes out. That being said, some of the best songs I've written have never been cut. I mean, mm-hmm. honestly, I'm say, I have some songs that it just amazes me that would have been every bit as good, even better than some of the songs yeah. that my biggest hits. So, you know, you just learn to live with all that. And there's someone out there that All Eyes is their favorite song. 
You know this what I mean? True. That, exactly. And you, so even my solo record, I get all the time people they love. You know, heart don't fail me now or whatever. I and tried. To, I tried to find a copy of that for you to sign. I could not find one. So it's it's, it's working. You don't want it out I, there. Right, and you I bought them all. Them all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, golden platinum albums. Do you have them hanging up at your at your home? I do. Good for you. Whenever I interview someone and they go, I just have them in my closet. I don't really no, care about it. I'm uh-uh. like, no, you idiot. Hang it up. They're plastered all over my studio. Good for you. How many do you have? Just off the top of your head. I don't know. Maybe 50. That's insane. Something like that. I'm so, I just got so excited for you. <laughs> uh, we're going to hey, close. Are you kidding me? When we had the fires, like, it's funny because when we had the fires, that was like one of some of the first things I grabbed was like the record plaques because you can't buy them anymore. Then the fires happened the second year and it was like, eh, I got pictures of them. <laughs> it's like then the third year, which is last year, it was like, I think I grabbed my dog and my keys. It's and like you, every you, year. Yeah, so every year a little bit less. Less. And, the dog yeah. better watch it because this next time. <laughs> Uh, he may not make it into. You got to carry the keys, grab the keys, or else you can't get out of there. <laughs> All <right>. horrible. <laughs> I'm joking. You know I'm joking. Of okay, hollynight.com is the website. At Holly Knight Life is Twitter. Go to her website. You can read her whole entire bio. I, I wasn't going to read it all, but there's it's a, there's amazing stuff there. There's a Tina Turner musical. You got songs in that. Uh, your your biggest song would you say is the best? Yeah. Oh yeah. That's what I'm going to, that's going to be our play out song because it's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's, I had to uh, value, I had to put a value on my catalog when I was selling a piece of it to mm-hmm. uh, a company. I sold it to a company called Primary Wave because I wanted it to be, you know, tastefully exploited. Uh, <laughs> if, that's kind of an oxymoron, but um no, they've been getting a lot of my stuff out there. And um, in doing so and analyzing the value of, of, of my works, 80% of it, the income was from the best. Is wow. Is still from, is still from the best. Yeah. Well, Who knew? It's, it's, a, it's a collaboration can, between the songwriter and the singer that makes that yeah. successful. And, it, and it, there's no song to sing without Holly Knight. So for me, it's all on you you i'm i'm blushing (laughs) uh thank you holly so much for coming here on sunday afternoon i really appreciate it uh everyone go buy holly's music uh all of it go to wherever you buy music amazon itunes wherever just go buy it follow her on twitter we're at rock solid show you can go to rocksolidpodcast.com for everything about the show and also, before we go, I need to give a shout out to my friend John Lamoureux, who hosts the Hustle Podcast. Uh, John did such a great interview with uh, you, Holly, this week, and uh, I asked him if uh, if I could if I could steal you from him, and he was uh, he was gracious and said, "Absolutely, you need to talk to Holly." So, thank you, John Lamoureux, and uh, thank you, Holly. And right now, we're going to play out with the song that uh, that keeps Holly's uh, house up. The best. Thank you, Holly. I call you, I need you, my heart's on fire. You come to me, come to me, wild and wild. You come to me, give me everything I need. Give me a life.
One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. <laughs> AutoTrader.